Hi, I'm Harini. I'm Camille. My name's Calvino, and this is the News Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be discussing calorie counting and more broadly, diet culture in general. It is undeniable that lots of different media forms place a huge emphasis on losing weight and diet culture, but this emphasis is disproportionately targeted at women and girls. When we were growing up, I think we all remember the infamous Are You Beach Body Ready billboard advert or the dodgy adverts on different websites which highlighted weird weight loss pills, which doctors hated or weight loss secrets. And even Weight Watchers or the show Super Size vs Super Skinny all culminated in promoting calorie counting and even disordered eating in a lot of young girls. So for us, this social pressure goes back as far as we can remember, essentially. However, the standard of being slim and the concept of fat phobia are relatively new phenomena, and they are also largely Western. You can argue that the spread of diet culture across the world is not only a reinforcement of the West's cultural hegemony, but also a reinforcement of the patriarchy, as it is a standard predominantly placed on women and girls. Also, more generally, we can't ignore the fact that a woman's role in the patriarchy is hugely dependent on her appearance, and therefore, comparatively, obviously, this can't be taken in a vacuum, but comparatively, it's not as deep or dramatic for a man to be seen as fat. Also, because it's a lot harder, a man has to achieve a much higher weight in order to be deemed as overweight, because we assume things like muscles, like working out, or like bulking. If a man is larger, he's just seen as more protective. Whereas a woman, due to this different dynamic between the roles that we expect from men and women, is expected to be skinnier, smaller, diminutive, and therefore gaining even a little bit of weight is immediately seen as fat, in inverted commas, rather than muscle. For example, men can still be seen as humans and still be respected for their other assets, their other talents, whereas an average woman who's overweight suddenly finds it a lot harder in the patriarchy, and if you don't believe me, there are so many testimonies online that you can read about this, or in books. And alternatively, if you want to feel better about it, you can also look up uh, Anne Hathaway talking about her experience with gaining weight, and how she was made to feel more comfortable by the other women uh, on her film set. However, obviously, this is not to say that fat phobia does not exist against men. But this is important as well to actually define fat phobia and what it means, especially in today's society. Because really, fat phobia is not a phobia of fat people, it's a phobia of yourself gaining weight. Which is scary because it means that all of these diet magazines and pills and you know schemes and whatnot have actually got inside our heads to the point that we are actually afraid of ourselves gaining weight. It's not the same as homophobia because no one is afraid of themselves being gay, they don't like other people being homosexual. Whereas fat phobia... To be honest, no one really cares if your next door neighbour is overweight. You don't hate them for it, you're not afraid of them. And yet people obsessively calorie count because they themselves don't want to be in that situation under any circumstances. Which is scary, because at the end of the day, being overweight does not necessarily mean that you're unhealthy, and it certainly isn't something that we should be taught to obsess over. For example, the difference between men and women can also be seen with the dad bod being turned into an ideal stereotype for what some women look for in a man, whereas a woman who has gained that same weight, for example, you know, to take the equivalent of a dad board, this parental weight, especially after physically giving birth, which men don't do, 
I mean, everyone has seen the magazines lining whatever supermarket you shop at, whatever internet provider you have, there are always adverts of actresses or general women in the public being, you know, mocked and ridiculed and humiliated for having gained weight and for being the equivalent of what is a dad bod, which is something which is not humiliated nearly in the same way. You can also see the double standard uh, racially as well, as well as having the gender disparity, because if you imagine the stereotypical image that you've seen in films, magazines, books, whatever you want to cite, whatever kind of content that you consume the most, or sitcoms, for example, a larger white man in a suit versus a larger black woman. A larger black woman will then be typecast very often as having attributes that are completely random, for example, being sassy, being loudmouthed, being arrogant, being defensive of herself, being lazy, perhaps, Whereas the attributes that are then given to the larger white man are being middle class, being rich, working in a company, owning the company, perhaps. I mean, when you talk about like, you know, rich fat cats, that is the stereotype and it comes with success, not with laziness and sass and all of these other things. The larger black women are then often typecast as completely unfairly. So it goes to show that actually weight gain is a political tool in many ways and you just you know we've just scratched the surface in this episode of all of the different ways that it's so destructive to society even on an individual level the amount of hypersexualization that lizzo has then uh, experienced compared to an actress like rebel wilson even though before her weight loss they were absolutely you know comparable size you also see the objectification of black women take an important role there and both rebel wilson after her weight loss and adele after hers both have made comments to the press that actually there was significantly more media attention on their weight loss, on, you know, before and after photos, how much they lost, their diet plans, how they did it, blah, 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 than on the actual work they were doing that year. Now, this is not in any way to say that men do not face criticism for being perceived as overweight. I mean, Lord knows Jonah Hill, for example, has spoken extensively about how all of the abuse, essentially, that he's faced in Hollywood for the size that he was, what before he also was pressured into losing weight, that he hadn't originally felt that kind of pressure to lose. And it's awful. No one should be made to feel that way. The difference is the obsession and the way that that Hollywood aesthetic trickles down into the average woman versus the average man. Yes, and a lot of weight loss, weight gain ideas are tied in with profit-making and capitalism. So in the US alone... Diet products generate $60 billion of revenue per year, and companies like Weight Watchers and products that exist like slimming teas, pills, laxatives, there's diet plans that you can buy, books that you can buy, and calorie counting apps that normally come with some sort of fee or subscription scheme. All of these things are there to make a profit. They're not exclusively for the good of the people, the health of the people. There are other money motives at play. And Many of these companies also exploit the population's fears of this obesity epidemic that's kind of been circulating media recently. And there's a lot of shows about this in the UK and about weight in the UK that a lot of us have watched growing up, which is so harmful to consume at such a young age, but that's another point in itself. Um, shows like Super Size versus Super Skinny, they're not exactly healthy portrayals of weight loss and weight gain. Weight itself is an incredibly complicated, stigmatised, sensitive topic and stuff like this presents weight loss and weight gain in such a black and white, unnuanced way 
the show is also humiliating, degrading people for the way they look and their eating habits to a national audience. It's basically telecast humiliation. And often the narrative presented on shows like this is of what not to do rather than of what to do. Or small healthy changes that you can make instead. I think this is quite triggering. It's also really unhelpful because like, I know what I'm doing is considered wrong, again, by who, but it's fine because if we can still continue with that line of argument, it's like, okay, but then where's the support in place to actually help? It's also really exclusionary in the way that it's presented in such an intimidating way. In April, the UK government made calorie displays of all food and drink a legal obligation for takeaways, restaurants, anywhere which sells food and drink essentially. And businesses with over 250 employees will have to pay a fine of £2,500 if they ignore the calorie display requirement. So essentially this doesn't do much to promote actual healthy eating, instead it does the reverse is predicted to cause more harm and create more calorie counting and eating disorder-like behaviours. So anorexia, for example, disproportionately impacts women and women make up the majority of sufferers of most eating disorders and calorie counting has been endemic in our gender for decades and the number is constantly rising. And with anorexia being the deadliest eating disorder, it's certainly a very dangerous move that the UK government has made. There's also a massive class element to this because a move like this doesn't actually do anything to make weight loss more accessible. So there isn't an increased access to gyms or leisure centres or activity areas for poorer people or working class people. Most children's clubs and centres have in fact closed down or are out of use because of social funding cuts, because of austerity. So there is a disproportionate effect on the working class. There's no moves to make healthy food more accessible. Healthy foods haven't become any cheaper. Healthy eating information and knowledge is no more accessible there isn't any moves to tackle other incredibly real public health problems, for example, hunger levels, like child hunger, which has um, increased since the pandemic, as a lot of children were taken out of breakfast clubs and lunchtime at school. So essentially, this move is scheduled to do much more harm than it is good. I could not agree more. If we look at what actually what is called the obesity epidemic, The issue is not that people are not counting enough calories because otherwise, as you say, we wouldn't also have an epidemic of young girls with eating disorders. The issue is things like, for example, food deserts, where people actually can't get access to the healthy foods that they need because all that they have is junk food. And to talk a little more about junk foods and calories, a Mackey's burger has 250 calories in it, which might seem like a lot to anyone out there who's actually still struggling with counting uh, calories. However, the average adult which in terms of taking medicine is everyone over the age of 12. But if we look at legally anyone over the age of 16, 18, 21, wherever you live, you're meant to have 500 to 750 calories per meal and slightly less for breakfast in an ideal world, which is equivalent to two, if not three, McDonald's burgers for every meal. Which is why if you've ever been to Mackey's and you've had one burger and you've not felt full, that's why but then encourages you to buy more things, more sides, more add-ons, a whole other meal, which then means that you're absorbing and, you know, eating more of this unhealthy food that isn't unhealthy because of its calorie count, it's unhealthy because it's processed food and it doesn't have any nutrients in it, but that isn't 
an attractive enough message. It's not a simple enough message to sell. And therefore, eating vegetables is not the thing that is spurring all of this money into this hypertoxic industry. Calorie counting is. Whereas if you have a balanced meal, if we think, you know, the eat well plate, everyone was taught it at primary school, I hope, or at least it's easy to find photos of it on the internet. The difference between having a small unhealthy meal and a larger healthy meal is actually going to be the difference between whether you're aiming for weight loss, if you are dangerously overweight, or just to eat healthily in your life, live longer, you know, live to see your children's wedding, whatever it is that you're hoping for out of your life. That is what the difference is. It's what you absorb, not how much of it that you eat. And none of that is the message that we're seeing portrayed here. Also, the government plays a big role in this, not just because now calories are literally everywhere that you didn't want to see them, including on restaurant menus. Again, not putting any of the actual nutritional content that you find in cereal boxes, which is an example of a positive change to tackle unhealthy eating, but also because in other countries they actually do advertise healthy eating. For example, if you watch television in France, every time that there is an advert break, there is also an advert about eating oranges, eating fruit, doing sports, you know, drinking milk in the morning if you're not lactose intolerant. All of these different things, and there's always a bit of a strap line that takes you to a government website that explains about healthy eating. So that even if you are in a condition where your parents are not teaching you healthy eating habits, or you're in a place where you actually can't get access to healthy food, you can't afford to go to the gym, even if you were to just switch on the television, eventually you will hit an advert with every advert break that is encouraging these healthy eating habits, which we don't have in the UK. Partly because what we're putting an emphasis on through these companies is just completely wrong and it needs to be redirected. Take carbohydrates, for example. They've been completely vilified during my lifetime, and I assume beforehand, to the point that people cut out this whole section of the eat well plate, even though it's meant to take one third of what you eat, in other words, exactly the same as in our vegetables that you eat. I mean, if you take a moment for that to actually sink in, because I don't think that it's taught enough at all to teenagers, especially teenage girls. And the other thing is with teenage girls developing these eating disorders is that so many of the adverts that we see are not targeted at you. If the people are talking about weight loss, they're targeted at people who actually need to lose weight, as in they're double, triple the amount of weight that they should be, should, obviously, in inverted commas, because everyone has a different target weight in terms of what their, their healthy body weight should be. But as in if you're in a situation where it's dangerous and it's actually affecting not just your lifestyle, but your lifespan, as in you could die in the next couple of years because of your unhealthy eating habits, that is the kind of target audience that these adverts should be targeted at. But again, that isn't lucrative enough. So they're lowering and lowering and lowering and lowering the age of women that this is then you know, portrayed to, to the point that 12, 13, 11, 10, 9, 8-year-old girls are thinking that it's targeted at them and that they're the ones who need to lose weight. And this is when it becomes incredibly dangerous because arguably your teenagers are the most important years of your life. Your parents are no longer there to hold your hand about everything that you consume, as in you know, physically as well as consume in terms of media, so you're starting to make your own decisions in the world, but you're still a child. You're still so impressionable and you're still growing. So if there's anyone out there who needed to hear that, I really hope that I've not phrased it absolutely terribly. But like, you need to take a moment to realise it's not even aimed at you. So you're taking on this burden, this hurt, this pain, and this awful disordered eating that might affect you for much longer than you realise, just so that a complete rando that you're never going to meet in your life is literally making money off your pain. And again, you know, I've probably rephrased that 
wrong in many ways, but I hope that it's made a difference to, to someone who's thought twice about it because it is so dangerous and you're never going to see the positives of it. Only people who are exploiting teenage girls for their eating disorders will ever see the positives. Yeah, so that links in with the emergence of gym culture. And there's loads of reasons that drive people to the gym, right? Some are health-oriented, like staying fit, mental health, keeping your body moving, even making friends, I guess. But other reasons are definitely linked to weight and body image-related issues. And are actually really common, like wanting to lose weight, wanting to look a certain way, wanting to tone, gain muscle, and all those things. Gym culture, though, can be incredibly addictive and can become toxic very quickly because it's difficult to strike a balance with it for a lot of people, especially in regard to the weight and body image related points. I mean, for a lot of girls, myself included, those home workout schemes like get abs in two weeks, get toned arms in one week kind of ruled over lockdown and me and my friends used to do them together and it was quite fun. But I mean, there's lots of points to note about stuff like that because one, it's kind of false advertising in the sense that it's not actually possible, like targeted fat loss and stuff like that. But they also come with before and after images and so do a lot of gym ads and they basically propagate the beauty standard because obviously the end images are what you're trying to achieve and what is considered desirable, which is unhealthy in itself. Gym culture is also intrinsically linked with calorie counting and diet culture. I mean, you're supposed to watch your nutrition, which is good because you're focusing on making healthier choices where you can. And I know a lot of people that go to the gym regularly know all about food groups and their intakes and nutrition and stuff like that. There's also so much information available, though, on the Internet. And that can be quite daunting, like you're supposed to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight, a calorie surplus to bulk up and gain muscle. There's an overload of information about keto, paleo, 5-2 and all these diets. And that is also coupled with influencers doing these what I eat in a day videos. So calorie counting is actually so normalised in gym culture. And that's a slippery slope because what starts off as something really harmless, like just monitoring food intake, can really easily spiral into an eating disorder, especially when people want to achieve certain body goals quickly. Like calories end up controlling the people rather than the other way around. There's also so many apps that let you count calories quickly and then tell you how many you've burned in a day after you've done exercise. And a lot of this stuff plays into the weight and body image related issues, that people have and where a balance isn't struck with it and that is super tricky to get a balance then gym culture can become incredibly incredibly unhealthy for some there's also this generational idea where for a lot of girls their mothers aunts or older women in their lives are sort of obsessed with calories or closely monitor the calories that they or that their children consume and this idea gets passed on through the generations from older to younger women and that's become this topic of lots of videos on TikTok where users mention how little they saw their mothers or aunts or again old women in their families eat growing up and how that impacted them because as children it made them very hyper aware of food and calories when they didn't need to be and I guess as you progress into adulthood or even as a teenager that can spiral pretty quickly into a very nasty relationship with food um, with calories and become eating disorders potentially. 
And these older women actually play a crucial role in more ways than just the family. If we look, for example, I mean, I'll always remember the clips that I was watching when I was younger of uh, Dance Mums. The amount of toxic language that is used in that series by mothers about themselves or their own daughters, several of whom have actually apologised for it more recently because they have grown up from, I don't know, I guess adults to aware adults, to realise the things that they were saying and how harmful they were to anyone watching of any age at all because these things can affect you for your whole life if it's something that you've been brought up with and never had to question to the point that you've got yourself out of that mindset because obviously it's incredibly difficult to unlearn everything that you've ever been told about your weight and calorie counting and the best way in which to stay healthy which, you know, spoiler alert, is not calorie counting if there was any doubt about that by the end of this episode but if we look at the language, I remember one of the things was that one of the mums was trying to fit into her daughter's jeans. And she was celebrating that she could fit into her 12-year-old daughter's jeans as, like, a 45-year-old woman, or how old she was. She was not 12, for a start. And things like this is just completely... I mean, the word unreasonable comes to mind. But again, obviously, if it's a genuine eating disorder, that could never be the victim's fault, ever, in any circumstances. But it does really beg the question about how deep these lives run in society. That there was ever an expectation that a fully grown adult middle-aged woman who's pushed out a baby would ever be able to fit into a 12-year-old jeans and an athletic 12-year-old girl. Like The amount of dancing that they do should not be underestimated. She's not even an average size to 12-year-old girl in terms of, you know, thigh size. The expectation that that would ever work is ridiculous. The fact that she gets into it and celebrates publicly online as though that's something that other people should aspire to is harmful in every imaginable way. And this also takes me to a point that is incredibly close to my heart. We're making this podcast at an interesting age because we're out of adolescence. Barely, just about. But it means that all of the things that you thought was normal when you are a teenager, we're now starting to realise how toxic they were. Hence issues like this that we feel very passionate about and that we mention a lot about teenage girls and eating disorders because we've been teenage girls the last decade. But things like just growing out of your genes is an actual psychological struggle that a lot of girls go through because it comes with all kinds of emotions that it shouldn't and that hopefully teenage boys are not going through. And I don't mean hopefully as in there should be a disparity. I mean hopefully because I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But getting into a pair of jeans or a dress or a top or a skirt or anything that isn't basically shoes is then intrinsically linked to the size of your body and therefore carries that weight that you don't even necessarily realise you're carrying from all of this pressure that society tells you. And it comes to when the point where you finally stop actually thinking about your weight, thinking about the calories, thinking about the size on what you're wearing, it completely changes how you even feel getting dressed or shopping. Because you're no longer obsessed with the fact that you've gone from one size to the size above, or two sizes, or three sizes above. And you come to the realisation that you are an adult size, you're an adult woman. And part of that, you know, is inevitable, because adolescence, your teenage years, is, you know, fundamentally liminal. You're between being a child and an adult. It's a transitional stage. Changes happen, as biology tells us. But the psychological effect of growing out of your clothes is something that, honestly, we could do a whole episode about and actually interview women on, because it really can't be underestimated how much pressure is put on adult women to stay the same size that they were when they were 12, when they were 14. When they were 16, to be honest, is probably the oldest that people want to go. 
And it's ridiculous because it's completely unhealthy. It's completely unattainable. And it's in no way something that should be justified, let alone put forward as an actual theory. So I hope that everyone listening to this is not has not gone through that when they were teenagers, although I find that unlikely. Um, and, you know, can take this as a reminder that you're an adult. You're not 16. You're not 14 or 12 anymore. So there's no reason why you'd fit into the same clothes that you did then in the same way as your dad probably doesn't fit into the same clothes that he did when he was, like, barely going to secondary school. To be honest, it's actually generally a good piece of advice for girls generally, and for potentially men, the other way around, is to think, like, if I were a boy, how would I react to this situation? So if you're trying on clothes that used to fit and don't anymore, and you're upset about it, or stressed about it, or nervous, if you think, like, if I had been born a dude, if I were my brother, for example... How would I react? And if the answer is that you'd be fine, then, you know, you've unlocked yet another way that the patriarchy creates insecurity and, in reverted commas, weakness in women because it's making you insecure about something that is completely ridiculous to feel insecure about. And yet so many women do. It sucks, but knowledge is power and it genuinely will set you free. And leading on from what I was saying about keeping women, or rather making women, weak by inflicting all of these insecurities on them that will hold them back marginally and marginally until it's more and more and more and it's actually affecting their daily lives. In The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf, written in 1991, she says, A cultural fixation on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty, but an obsession about female obedience. Dieting is the most potent political sedative in women's history. A quietly mad population is a tractable one. Now, obviously, quietly mad is not um, a phrase that you're going to hear uh, post-council culture referring to women uh, when talking about food because of its intrinsic link with eating disorders. But it does show that it's an issue that affects us negatively. And by normalising dieting and eating and these feelings of inadequacy, it actually makes them spread. It justifies them rather than absolutely tackling them from the root as a completely inexplicable an inadmissible thing to make women feel. So I really hope that our generation is the last to feel that way and to have these issues. I doubt that it will be, sadly. But I hope that we can all do our bit to change that in the way that we speak, in the way that we voice our insecurities, or rather don't, so that other people then don't feel them in the same way. And normalising things like going to therapy, talking to your parents, if you have a good relationship with your parents, talking to adults, generally, especially healthy (laughs) adults, There are so many small things that should be encouraged for young women to do so that they don't fall into this absolute pit of misery or to help them get out of it that we're really not encouraging enough as a society. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, eating disorders are a literal mental illness, so you can't blame someone for developing one. But there does need to be an element of accountability and self-awareness in the people who actively knowingly promote diet culture and calorie counting particularly online like apps like tiktok and stuff like that because how else is a change in our culture going to occur if we're not holding people accountable and though we can hold individuals on social media accountable there still exists an endless bombardment of diet culture and calorie counting culture being promoted by tabloids corporations the government all of these agents which define our cultural norms That is all for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you have learned something new. 
And if you feel inspired to get involved, we welcome you to email us at admin at newslondon.co.uk. We are always looking for new people to interview and new articles to put onto our blog, which you can find at www.newslondon.co.uk. You can also check out our Instagram at news underscore LDN. That's all from us. This was the News Podcast. <laughs>